There is a strategy that more and more employers are using during the interview process to figure out if you're going to be the type of employee that will survive in their environment. They know the metrics they're looking for. They know the answers they're searching for. And I'm going to unlock that secret for you today in this episode of the Work in Sports Podcast. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. We've lined up some really good interviews that are taking place right now. Matter of fact, yesterday I interviewed Ishwara Glassman-Krein, who was the president of the Chicago Fire and has held many other roles in sports leadership. One of the main reasons I wanted to interview her is because she did this great op-ed in the Sports Business Journal about how shameful it is the way we treat interns, the way we treat entry-level employees, about how we not focus enough on development in the sports world. So her and I had a really great conversation yesterday, and we're going to bring that episode next week to all of you. Uh, I'm also interviewing Joan Lynch, friend of the show, Joan Lynch, who is releasing a new podcast series herself, a new video series, I believe, actually, maybe not a podcast, a video series with her team at Working Nation on uh, how to make more money in sports jobs, new series on making money in sports jobs. So I'm interviewing her later this week, and then I have two other interview setups. My point is we got a lot of good stuff coming, so stay tuned, a lot of good content coming. But today, we're going to do a Monday on a Wednesday, as I like to call it breakfast for dinner, which I'm totally down with. And sometimes we just get a lot of good questions and we want to take a break from the interview sessions and do a little bit of a conversation on a topic that is hot and needs some attention. So let's get to it. Stefan in Dallas writes in. Hey, Brian, I read an article recently that included a quote from a recruiter at Google saying that self-awareness and emotional intelligence are the number one thing she looks for when hiring. But they didn't explain why or how to convey this soft skill. Any ideas? Thanks. You're the best. And I trust you more than Googling. Okay, a couple of things in there that I need to unpack. I trust you more than Googling might be the greatest compliment ever. Thank you, Stefan. Number two, I was going a different direction with this conversation today. I had a whole plan for a conversation on behavioral interview techniques based on a question that came in, and I pivoted. Because as I was kind of working through my bullet points for that conversation, A text message came across, well, a notification came across my phone saying Stephon Gilmore had been traded to the Dallas Cowboys. And a little trigger went in my mind like, oh my gosh, I swear I got a question from somebody named Stephon in Dallas this week. So I looked back into my notes and this was it. I mean, this is a crazy time right now in NFL free agency. I love it. My team hasn't really done squat, the New England Patriots, but uh, it's okay. I'm surviving. Let's get into this topic. Why is emotional intelligence and self-awareness important in the hiring process? I read the article that he is referencing. I know exactly what Stefan is talking about. And this Google recruiter did say self-awareness is the number one thing that they look for. But they, I was also disappointed because, you know me, I stress this concept of being actionable. I'm always trying to tell people how to do it, why it's important, give a little bit more depth. Some of these articles that people write just become so superficial and they tell you and they tease you and they say like, self-awareness is really important. And that's the number one thing I look for, but they don't tell you why or how to develop it or how to convey it in the job interview process. So we're gonna do that today. Why is self-awareness and emotional intelligence really important in the hiring and interviewing process? Get this, pull some data. A study from Leadership IQ found that 89% of hiring failures are the result of attitude, not a lack of technical skills. I stress all the time how important it is for you to have technical skills, the things you can do that match the marketplace, and that's what gets you noticed. 
right? That's what has somebody look at your resume and say, this person can do the job. But the reason you survive and thrive on the job is not necessarily because of the technical skills. It is because of your attitude. So there's two parts of this. They are not contradictory. They work together. You need the skill set to get noticed, to get thought of and thought, this person can do this job. You need the attitude and the self-awareness and the other attributes in order to really thrive and grow and get to that next level. You want to present yourself. That is the difference maker in the interview process, to present yourself as self-aware, to present yourself as emotional intelligence. And when you marry technical skills with that ability, now recruiters, hiring managers, we get excited to go a little bit deeper. Of that 89%, so of the 89% of people that fail, uh, and for added reasons of attitude, broken down further, 26% of that was a lack of coachability. The ability to accept and implement feedback from bosses, colleagues, customers, and others. And number two was 23% was emotional intelligence. The ability to understand and manage one's own emotions and accurately assess others' emotions. That creates problems in the workforce. I say it all the time, those soft skills you need to manage, coachability is one of them. I like competitive, coachability, and curious. Those are three things that I go for a lot. Those are things that I'm driven towards. This proves it. If you're coachable, if you're not coachable, that leads to failure. If you're not emotionally intelligent and aware, that leads to failure. So these are important things for you to be really aware of, and it's something that should be taught more in college programs. My friend Kevin Catani at University of Dubuque in Iowa told me once, they told me a couple years ago, he said, we stress emotional intelligence in our program. And he told me, go buy Emotional Intelligence 2.0 and read that book. And I'm like, great, I'm, I'm in. And I read it and I'm like, this is eye-opening stuff. This is really important. And I would recommend to all of you to start to put emotional intelligence on your radar as part of your growth for yourself. And also as part of your process to get ready to hit the job market. Because these attributes make a difference. Smart recruiters, smart hiring managers look for this. And I'm going to tell you how they look for it and how you should handle it. But I'm going to go a little bit deeper on the data a little bit just to make sure you understand how important it is. Okay. Researchers found that people who are taught self-awareness have better ability to reflect on their leadership skills and foster a stronger sense of teamwork. Self-awareness helps people review their skill sets, grow as a person, and better contribute and build a company culture that values teamwork. All right, I'm sold. I hope you are. Last thing, one survey from Harvard Business Review, I've heard of those guys, they know their stuff, guys and gals, found that nearly of nearly 5,000 people, survey of almost 5,000 people, found that only 10 to 15% were actually self-aware. A much bigger number thought they were, but through their survey and their research and their methodology, they were able to discover that only 10 to 15% were actually self-aware. So this process can take time, but it will give you great benefits. And if the more you are aware of it, the more you are trying to grow in this area, it will make you present yourself in a much better light. So let's get into it. Let's define a little bit of terms first. Self-awareness is a mindful consciousness of your strengths, weaknesses, actions, and presence. They are your ability to take a step back and really be open and transparent with who you are, what you bring to the table, where you're strong, where you're weak, and how you make things happen. Like self-assessment, looking at the way you go about things and being able to actually be critical 
in who you are and how you've done things. It's being honest with yourself. It's being transparent and being a bit vulnerable, which can be kind of scary. But being vulnerable connects us with other people. It makes groups of people less fearful, more willing to try things, and more open to learning. These are some of the things we stress as leaders. I mean, I have a team of 10 people that I manage. We have an organization of over 100 people. We manage cross-functionally. We work with other groups. We're trying to do products that that interact with a lot of different people in our organization. Being vulnerable breaks down walls, makes people willing to take chances, makes people willing to grow and see where they can improve. I try philosophically to be very honest with my team. Not always great at it. I try though. When I mess up, I own it. When I pitch for an idea and it fails, I try to explain why and think about it and where I may have let the team down or where I may have made mistakes. I try to shoulder that blame a lot of times. That's just who I try to be as a person. But as I reflect on it, I haven't always been this way. Early in my career, I could not admit mistakes. I could not admit areas I was weird or vulnerable, (laughs) areas I was weird, but it's true. I mean, I couldn't uh, admit areas I was awkward or not as good at or where I wasn't as comfortable or where I didn't have knowledge or it was this fake it till you make it concept. And I hate it. I hate that concept. I don't think it works. I think we need to be a little bit more vulnerable. I think we have to admit our weaknesses and how we're growing to improve. But I was never taught this. Nobody ever told me it was important. I grew up in a sports world where strength and competition and winning was the only answer. And weakness was like a disease in your mind, right? If you projected any kind of weakness, you were going to lose. You were a loser. You could not compete. You're, you're sitting the end of the bench. So you have this mentality in our world of, I have to be the best. I can't show any weakness. If I ask questions, somebody's going to judge me. If I show some vulnerability, somebody's going to think I'm, you know, lacking in competitive fire. This is all bullshit. Okay. I'm just going to say it to all of you. This is all BS. It took me a long time to deprogram myself to understand I am not always going to win and that's okay. I am not always going to be right, and that's okay. I can learn from my mistakes. I can improve. I can empower others to achieve and be happy when they do, not competitive, happy when they achieve, and I can win in the long run because of that attitude in a hundred different ways, not just on the scoreboard, but by building other people up, by working better as a team, by by improving my mental health and, and stress. So, Employers know this, even in the sports industry, where it is very competitive. Employers know that if they they can teach people technical skills, but if they lack self-awareness and they lack emotional intelligence, that will create problems down the line. So they are trying to ferret that out. They're trying to dig for that and find out, is this person aware of themselves and where they need to improve? And if you have that, If you can show that along with technical stills, you become really unstoppable. So now let's get in. And what I mean by unstoppable is you have a much less potential for failure. 89% of those people who fail within the first 18 months on a job are doing it because of their attitude, because of their ability to grow and absorb information and to be coachable and to be self-aware and have emotional intelligence. So now I need to present to you how to be, how to know when interviewers are digging at this, and then we'll get into the how to answer it, how to handle it side. So when interviewers are going to ask you questions like, 
Can you tell me about a time you tried to do something and failed? Okay, I got a couple of these. Tell me about a time you received negative feedback from your boss. How did that make you feel? What would your coworkers say is the most rewarding thing about working with you? And what's the most challenging thing? Number four, can you tell me about a time you needed to ask for help on a project? Now, here, here are the key terms in there. It's about how you feel. It's about failing. How did you handle failure? These are self-awareness questions that you have to be ready to handle. If somebody says, tell me about a time you needed to ask for help on a project, and you're like, I never need any help. I, I'm, I take projects on, I crush them. You may think, oh man, I just, I just presented a lot of confidence. What they're seeing is that does not work out in the real world. You can't be that person that tries to own everything yourself because you're the best. You have to be self-aware and say, oh, here's an example of a time that I asked for help and that I worked with a team because teamwork, you know it, makes the dream work. <laughs> Set that one up. Okay, so how do you handle this? How do you prepare for these kind of questions? For one, knowing they exist and really thinking about how you would answer them, go back over those four questions that I just presented to you. Tell me about a time you tried to do something and failed. Guess what? In our world, failure is okay. Look at all the NBA champions who got to the finals early in their career and lost, and it taught them a lot. And they came back and won. LeBron James could be a really good example for you here, okay? Failing is okay if you learn from it. So being able to express that and share that with somebody else without being defensive and fearful and saying, I tried this thing and it didn't work and here's what I learned from it, that is a powerful answer that shows self-awareness. So what do you need, okay? It is easy for me to sit here and to say, you have to be able to be critical of yourself and assess yourself. That is not easy to do though, but that is step one. You have to really understand what your weaknesses are and be okay with them, but have a plan for improving upon them. I can tell you right now, one of my deficits as a marketer and in my role as director of content marketing, I am not as great at the data side of things. I am not as great at that. I am data and analytics, okay? I can improve there. I know that. I will admit that in interview processes and I have before. It's an area I can be better. And here's my plan to get there. That's an honest answer that employers actually really embrace. So first off, to prepare for these kind of questions, you need to find an honest partner, a mentor, somebody in your network who you trust, somebody who's been a leader in your world. It could be a relative. It could be somebody that was an intern coordinator. It could be somebody that's had an impact in your life in some other way that maybe isn't in your industry, but they can give you honest feedback and they can tell you where you're weaker and tell you how you need to improve. That honest feedback is important and you have to be open to it because this is how you grow and this is how you improve. So the next one is be open to feedback. <laughs> I have always gotten into a defensive posture when somebody tries to give me feedback. Not always, but I'm saying in my early part of my career, I always got into a defensive posture and started to be like, yeah, but, well, yeah, I, I didn't win this game, but it was because the other guy totally cheated. You know, like you're always in a defensive po posture. What if you just were open to it and be like, yeah, I didn't study enough for that test. Or I didn't take these courses because I knew it wasn't what I loved, but it is important and I need to grow there. If you can be honest and open with feedback, that is a huge, huge, huge opportunity for you. I would add number three, practice mindfulness. Sometimes being able to get into a meditative routine. I'm not going to go all touchy-feely here, but this sort of stuff has helped me a lot. 
Meditating can calm you down and help you feel more open and vulnerable in a lot of these conversations. I think it's important. Practicing mindfulness is really helpful. But always, the, the last one on this, always, always, always be evaluating your strengths and weaknesses. I'm not saying you're only a weakness. There are a lot of places where you're really strong. Know what they are. Know how to share examples on why they're strong. But also know there's always room to grow. So now, when you get asked these type of questions, what you want to do, how you're going to handle this, is be honest and vulnerable and saying when somebody asks about your weakness or somebody says, you know, tell me about a time you received negative feedback, be honest, share the negative feedback, share where you weren't as strong, but you have to show proactivity because the goal that they want to see is not only were you willing to absorb that feedback, but you're willing to do something with it. We have an attitude in the way that I try to lead is that as a manager, I want people on my team to take chances and push the envelope and try new things and experiment, right? We test a lot and that makes them vulnerable to failing sometimes too. And I tell them all the time, that's okay. Failure is going to happen. I have a project that is going wrong right now that I'm literally meeting with somebody after I finish recording this that has been failing so far. And we are meeting to discuss how to make changes and to improve upon it and what we've learned and why we think it has failed. The fear wasn't in trying. The, the fear is in not learning from it and growing from it. And, and we as a team think that way. What can we try and what can we learn from it if it wins or if it fails? And you have to do these kind of a postmortems even if it wins. So this attitude of I have to learn from everything I do is self-awareness. If I go through an interview, I'm, I'm pretending I'm you now. If I go through an interview and I don't get the job, can I sit back and really self-analyze and say, why? What didn't I handle well? What questions did they ask that I wasn't prepared for? And how can I turn that into a success the next time around? That's the attitude you need to have. I'll share a quick story to you to try to you know, crystallize this for you a little bit. Leaders struggle when their team is not self-aware. And I'll give an example. I have a friend who's a, a VP in a different organization, and I was talking with them recently, and they were going through their yearly review process. And a lot of times when you're reviewing staff, you give your, like if you have a one to five scale on somebody, you give what you think they are, and there's a number, or there's like a, a, a phrase associated with each, like uh, strong and growing or uh, outstanding or like, so one, five might be outstanding and one might be, you know, needs to be fired, you know, like that kind of thing. So you ask the employee to give a self-awareness number. Like you say, what do you think? Where do you think you fit on the scale? And you also do one blindly. And I talked to one friend who was saying, I have this one staffer who I gave a three to as needs help, needs development, opportunities to grow, not where expected to be kind of a that's not a great rating. You want somebody to be a four or a five. They gave themselves, the employee gave themselves a five, like as in outstanding. And they said, I'm struggling with this so much because somebody who's not self-aware and thinks that they have it all perfect and that they are outstanding and have no room to grow, I don't know if I can work with that. This is why people fail. This is why people struggle. If you're not self-aware and know that you have room to grow and plans that you can make for your own growth, that frustrates leadership. And more and more uh, recruiters and hiring managers are trying to identify this early because they know it's the biggest red flag of future success. So identify this, think about this, prepare for this, and you will be in a much better position. 
Stefan, great question. This is stuff that kind of gets me excited. So I really dove into this today and I hope that helps you out. Stay tuned for all of our upcoming uh, podcast episodes. We got a lot of great stuff in the pike as always. So more coming soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. 